No, my wife didn't throw me out, and I have my luggage. Uh, yeah. Thankful for that. I think we could almost say amen and go home. Thank you, worship team. That was, that was just terrific. Well, good morning. Isn't it a great day? Even though we got a little sun, I'm so glad that you're able to join us today. And uh, Steve Adams couldn't be here today, so uh, if you were looking forward to him, I'm sorry to disappoint you. But anyway, um, well, you know, this, as, as James has said, this is the first Sunday in two years that we have not been mandated to wear masks. And you can, you can want to if you want, but, you know, the health authorities said we do not have to. So, without masks, you all think, I can see all those smiling faces out there, but surprise, surprise, when I have my glasses on in order that I don't too stray too far away from my notes, I can't see anything. I can't see any of you. You're all a blur. Uh, so I'm going to make the assumption that all of you are filled with the joy of the Lord and you've got smiling faces out there. So uh, let me just open in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity, Lord, we have to gather in your presence. And Father, I just feel just a very unworthy vessel today. But Lord, um, I just pray that it would not be my words, Father, but your words that would speak to our heart. Father, I just trust that you will just fill our hearts with your presence in our room, that we would just see you in a special way. And we'll just thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. There are two main passages I, I, uh, Scripture I want to use this morning, and the first is Isaiah 54.10. For the mountains may be moved and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness, or has said, will not be removed from you. My covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. <clears throat> Now that Hebrew word has said, that is translated as loving kindness here, is actually a very difficult word to translate into English because it has quite a range of meaning, uh, meanings. Um, the well-respected theologian Dr. John Oswald translates it as a completely undeserved kindness and generosity. <clears throat> Has said is not a feeling, not just a feeling, but it's an action. Lois Verberg, who is an author and uh, was a professor for years and helped Christians understand the Bible in its original context, said, has said intervenes on behalf of loved ones and comes to their rescue. So, and there's many scholars that believe that has said is best translated as loving kindness, but it still doesn't capture properly the, this kind of faithful, loyal uh, bonding of attachment, this unfailing, never-ending love that God has for you and has for me. I want to show you a picture of Hesed. The picture projected is by a Ukrainian artist, Natalia Rusetka, and it's a course called The Crucifixion. This work is found in the Icon Art Contemporary Sacred 
Art Gallery, thank you, James, Sacred Art Gallery in Lviv in West Ukraine. And if you have been following the news, this is a city that has been under attack in the last number of days. Very sad. Nancy and I had the opportunity a couple of weeks ago to pray and then spend 15 minutes just quietly looking and contemplating on this picture. And the words that came to our minds after our time were fully surrendered, vulnerable, totally exposed. And actually, if you study the very cruel act of crucifixion, you would find that most artists do not portray truly the exposure Jesus underwent. The victims of crucifixion actually were crucified naked in order that they were humiliated as much as possible. When we think back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were hiding because of the shame of their sin, which revealed their nakedness before God. Jesus had no sin, and he had nothing to be ashamed of in his Father's eyes, and the Father allowed that total exposure as Jesus was truly surrendered and exhibited true has said for you and for me. Now, I want you to keep that picture of has said in your mind as we continue, because we're going to turn to our key passage today, and that's from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. And Paul's speaking to us here, and he says this, I pray that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through His Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. And my question to us today is, what are we full of? Are we filled with the fullness of God? Or is something else taking some or even all of that space that is in our hearts? Notice the verse says that Christ may dwell in our hearts. And the Greek word for dwell also means to abide. Now, if you were going to have someone dwell, or if you prefer the word abide, with you at your house forever, wouldn't you want to know all about them? And what about the person who's coming to dwell in your house? Do you think they would want to know all about you? Well, years ago, we opened our home to a young Christian teacher who needed a place to stay. She seemed nice, and we offered that she could stay with us. She was quite quiet, and we wanted her to feel welcome. When she stayed with us, we invited her to eat meals with her family all the time so that we could get to know her, and she could get to know us. Instead, 
Every day, she would stand by her kitchen sink and eat rice cakes with honey and then go to her room. So you see, this gal, she dwelled with us. She took up space in our home, but we never really knew her. And she never really got to know us. Sometimes I think we treat Christ that way. We ask in faith for Jesus to come and dwell in the home we call our heart, and, but we never really get to know Him in the intimate way that He already knows us. Okay, Jesus, you can stay with me because someday you're going to let me live in your home. But in the meantime, you can just eat rice cakes by the sink because I have other things that are filling up my home and my time that you call my heart. The fact is that Jesus knows everything about us must make him very sad if we do not want to know more and more about him when he's living right with us daily, abiding with us. Now the verse goes on to say, as you are being grounded in love. Are we allowing ourselves to be grounded in love? You see, there never can be happiness in compulsion, feeling we have to do something. Well, I should be reading my Bible and praying and and maybe this week I, you know, I probably should go to church and yeah, maybe I'll throw a few bucks in too. You know, is that being grounded in love? True happiness is found in unselfish love, a love that will increase in proportion as we share it. It's not enough for love to be shared, it has to be shared freely. It must be given. It can't be t- just taken. Christ willingly surrendered and was vulnerable to the ultimate, to death for our sake. His love was given freely, and if we have taken that free gift, what does that mean for us today in the here and now? For sure, It is not saying, well, thanks, Jesus, for inviting me to live in your home someday. In the meantime, you can hang around and take some space in my heart. There's some space over there near the kitchen sink. Hebrews 12 says, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. You see there that word joy? There was a joy in the love that Jesus showed on the cross, and it's joy that he wants to share with us. Unselfish love, the said that we saw pictured, poured out upon a selfish object, will not bring perfect joy. And not because love requires a reward or it requires some return for loving, but because it rests in the happiness of the one who is beloved. That is you and that is me. So if us, the ones loved, receive love selfishly, the lover is not satisfied. I remember at Christmas time, When I was about 12 or 13, 
My dad said, well, we need to buy your mom a Christmas present, and uh, why don't you go out and find something for her? Now, my mom sometimes would drag me shopping with her in women's clothing stores, so I knew where she shopped. So I went in and asked one of the ladies if she could help me pick a Christmas present for my mom. Well, I wandered through the store, and I spied a jacket that I thought would be really nice. And the lady said, well, she says, you know, you can get the matching skirt and slacks that go with it. And I thought, okay, dad never gave mom much during the year, so I'll get the whole outfit. Well, we were really excited to give her that on Christmas morning. Here is sort of what it looked like. Now, when Christmas morning came, my mom opened the package and did her best to feign happiness, but I remember it more as outright laughter. The lady at the dress shop was happy because she got it out of her inventory at least for a few days before my mother returned it. Now, I have to say, what I thought I was going to make my mother happy failed, I was sad. When Jesus sees that his love has failed to make the beloved happy because they do not truly embrace it, it makes him sad. Now, I know, I know, Jesus' love is more beautiful than this ugly suit, but you get my, my point. Therein, I think, lies our problem. Unselfish love cannot properly ground itself except in a love that is embraced and returned. Why? Because it knows the only true peace and joy is found in selfless love. Selfless love, the love that Jesus gives and desires to be loved selflessly for our blessing and benefit. That is how love is perfected and grounded in our lives. And that is why the verse goes on to say, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Not just a head knowledge of knowing Christ loves us, but a total sense of knowing of this bonded attachment of hesed, or agape as close as it's translated uh, in the Greek. The person who has taken up residence in our very heart and soul wants to be loved selflessly just as he has loved us. Now, when we think of the two greatest commandments, to love God and to love others, it is God who is dwelling in us, who's given us the power and capacity to love. So when Paul says, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, 
and we know that God is love, he in essence is praying that we will have this fullness in such a measure in our lives that we will only be able to keep that filling of love by giving it away. And we can only give it away perfectly when we have also received it unselfishly. So how do we receive it unselfishly if we seldom or never interact with our dweller? If you have accepted the unselfish said of Jesus, he is not some part-time dweller in our hearts. He does not want to eat rice cakes by the sink. He wants you, as the verse says, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Why? Because then we can be filled with all the fullness of God. Joy and peace has said, and hence our title today, What Are We Full Of? Is he the dweller that is filling our being every day? So what can we do to ensure that we are dining or abiding with our dweller in a way that he's not standing off to the side of our heart eating rice cakes, if I can keep the example. Now remember our picture of Hased. As you know, the Hased didn't just end there. As we're going to be celebrating Easter soon, Jesus came back to life three days later and appeared to the disciples, praise the Lord, and gave the marching orders for the church. And in Matthew 28, he says this, and Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am always with you to the end of the age. You know, when Jesus walked among us physically, there was a certain simplicity to be his disciple. As Peter said in the book of Mark, Look, we've left everything and followed you. Families were left. Jobs were left. Disciples had to be with him to learn how to do what he did. And it was costly. But discipleship in those days had a very clear, simple, straightforward message. It was, come, follow me. Today, it's not the same. We cannot literally be with him in the same way the first disciples could be with him. But today, the priority, the intention, or the inner attitude of the heart of disciples today are to be exactly the same as the disciples were in Jesus' day. To be a disciple of Christ is to desire above all else to be like him. Matthew chapter 10 says, it is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher. And then Luke tells us, a disciple is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully qualified will be like the teacher. 
So as someone who has accepted the free gift of Hesed, we have a decision to make. If we intend to become Christ-like, we have to, just like going to school or to get a trade or a profession or practicing to be a piano player or a good golfer, we have to enroll in Christ's training, becoming his pupil or disciple. There, there really is no other way. Now, if we want to be a non-disciple of Christ, which is an option, we have decided that something is more important to do or undertake than to become like Jesus. It could be the excuses of reputation, of wealth, power, indulgence, or simply distraction. We have the freedom of choice. God has given us that. Do we understand that it is possible to live under the care and the power of God, working and dwelling with the Father just as Jesus did? Seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness every day. Now maybe discipleship, or as some call it, being an apprentice of Jesus, is a mystery to you. But there's no mystery about desiring and intending to be like someone. That is a common thing in society today. People train and people develop habits that help them to become more like who or how they want to be. Sometimes we think discipleship is a costly spiritual excess, and only for those who are really driven to pursue it. But the cost of non-discipleship is even greater in our life today than the price paid to walk with Jesus. Non-discipleship costs us abiding peace. It costs us a fullness of life that is evidenced by Hesed. It costs us the faith that sees everything in the light of God's overriding governance for our good. It costs us the hope that stands firm in the most difficult and discouraging circumstances of our life. And it costs us the power to do what is right and withstand the forces of evil that are so prevalent in our society today. The long and short of it is that non-discipleship costs us what Jesus came to bring to us as he described in John 10.10. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. So if our choice is we want to be disciples of Christ, Peter makes it clear in 2 Peter 1 that we indeed can become participants in the divine nature if we want to make the diligent effort to support our faith. Those efforts we would refer to as spiritual practices or disciplines that help transform us to be more like Jesus. Basically, it's practicing the things that Jesus modeled for the disciples that walked with him while he was physically on earth. You know, when I think back on my own life and the times when I have seen the loving kindness or has said of Jesus not demonstrated by me, to those closest to me, or even to those that God brought across my path, it really saddens me. 
and I'm sure it saddens Jesus. And that brings me to the question of my message. If I am not demonstrating the overflowing love of Jesus out of the fullness of God that I am supposed to be filled with, then what am I filled with? I am full of what my desires are. But Jesus says, I have come to dwell with you all the time, every moment of every day. Don't you desire to know me? A desire so intimate that you would do what I would do if I was living your life every day. So Jesus says to me, Jesus says, I have poured out my said for you. So you could have the power to do that. We need to be transformed in the deepest part of our being with our desire for Jesus in order that others can see the difference in us. Jesus made it very plain in the most famous speech he ever made, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided to you. We must remind ourselves, though, that spiritual transformation of the heart is the work and the property of God. But we have a part to play. Second Peter says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. You see, God has given each of us the responsibility to grow in grace. The pastor, and we're working on that. We're working on getting a new pastor. The pastor, the Bible teacher, the prayer warrior, or anyone else cannot do that for me. And I can't do it for you. We are to take up our own individualized cross and follow Jesus who poured out his said for each of us. All the real formation work in our lives is heart work. As Christians, we can emphasize the difficult task sometimes of winning hearts for God. But I think an even more difficult task for all of us is keeping the heart with God. To do that, we need to develop and build habits and time into our lives to purposely be with Him daily. A rhythm of intimacy with God, whether that be silence before Him, maybe it is reading uh, His Word in a slow and thoughtful way. Maybe it's praying. Is it fasting? Any of the numerous ways that Jesus demonstrated His devotion to His Father. What are we full of? We are full of what we choose and desire to be full of. If we choose to be filled with the fullness of God, we will see relationships changed. We will see a peace and a joy. We will see ourselves having more compassion, more patience, and true has said that love of God that will spill out from the overflow of our hearts. In other words, we become like Jesus. If we're saying to ourselves, you're sitting there saying, well, <clears throat> and I say it to myself, <clears throat> I know 
that have not been living in a way to keep my heart with God. And you may be grieved or lament about that as you see things in your life that are not quite what you want them to be. I want to finish with a verse. It won't be up there. It's from the book of Lamentations, people that were lamenting. And it says this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You see, tomorrow is a new day. What are you and what are I going to be chosen? What are we going to choose to be full of? The choice is ours. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for your word this morning, Lord, spoke to my heart. Father, we have choices to make every day. And Lord, I know that's so easy to make choices that are not centered on you. We ignore you sometimes, Lord, and we put you at the kitchen sink of our heart. When you want to fill our heart, you want us to unselfishly accept the wonderful has said you poured out for us. So, Father, I pray that we would purpose in our heart to really have a desire to get to know you in an intimate way. Lord, each of us have a special way we can do that. Reveal that to us, Lord, what you want us to do to be closer to you. Because, Lord, out of that, we know that is the only way that we can have the peace and joy that has said that loving kindness Fill our hearts every day. And we're going to thank you for what you will do in the precious name of your Son who poured out his life for us in Jesus' name.